All right, the gospel demands all of us. The gospel demands all of us. So the gospel is something that penetrates our whole life, not just a part of our life. It changes the way we think, the way we live, the way we spend our finances, the way we raise our children, the way we do marriage, the way we even relate to others. And the gospel also demolishes all barriers, social, ethnic, and others. There's no aspect of the believer, someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that should not be affected by the gospel. Today we're going to take a one-week brief break from our study of Colossians. Uh, I, know, I know we've been there for, for 20, I think at least 20 weeks, I think. And so I know this is a change of scenery a little bit for us. Um, but we're going to take a one-week break before we come back next week and finish out Colossians. Uh, however, there's significant overlap in this letter from Paul to Philemon. Uh, Philemon was of in the Colossian church, of, of the Colossian church, and so we've been studying the Colossian church, and we're going to see uh, a, the, the main character of this, this book, uh, actually Onesimus, uh, is going to be at the end of Colossians. So we're going to kind of get a, a little idea of who he was here as well. Uh, this was written during Paul's second imprisonment in Rome. Uh, he had three imprisonments that we are aware of, uh, and the second one is when he wrote uh, not only Philemon and Colossians, but he also wrote Philippians and Ephesians during this time. It's amazing how God's sovereignty still works. So we think that he is put in prison, and so that's going to decrease the gospel being spread, but instead it actually causes him to have some time to write these four wonderful books that continue to affect the church today. And there's also some, some, uh, some historical overlap that we're going to see here too, as these letters were most likely written at the exact same time or around the same time and carried by the same couriers uh, when they went to the church of Colossae to take the book of Colossians. So today we're going to see that, this, that the gospel had a, a marked effect on Philemon, uh, that it had a huge effect on his life, how he lived it. And we're going to see through this personal letter from Paul uh, how, that, how the, the, the gospel demanded Philemon to continue in that. And I pray that as we study this, that we also look at our lives and see what the gospel demands of us as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. God, I pray that you preach through me, that your word comes out, not mine. And God, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to hear it, uh, to receive it, God. Thank you so much uh, for the gathering of believers. Thank you for the great worship we got to have. I just uh, praise you for being able, to, uh, being able to praise you, Lord, giving us a voice to, to sing and uh, uh, musical instruments to, to be able to play toward your glory, God. And I just pray that uh, that we as a church, that we, we don't take that for granted. The, the ability just to lift up our voices to you, God. Thank you for that. Uh, Lord, be with us uh, throughout this service, and may you ultimately be glorified. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three different points, three things that the gospel demands of us. And the first one is the gospel demands our life. The gospel demands our life. And read along with me as we look at God's word here. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord 
Jesus Christ. So Paul and Timothy start off this letter as a greeting, but it becomes very apparent as we enter this letter that this letter is really personally from Paul to his friend Philemon as we move forward. So Paul, as we've already said, is in his second imprisonment as he writes this along with uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. And again, I've decided to, to go over this because we're going to get to know Onesimus today. Note, that the, note the greeting that Paul says here about Philemon, his beloved fellow worker. I, I love that right there. And after greeting who is probably Philemon's wife, Aphia, uh, and probably his son, Archippus, if we look, we see a very important fact that's shown in verse 2 as well. The church that meets in his house. So this guy is not just your typical average guy that has become a Christian. He's, he's sold out. He, is the, he has given his entire life, which we all should. That doesn't mean we're all supposed to plant a church in our house, but we all should be willing to give whatever and everything of our life toward our, for the gospel. And it's amazing that, that he's opened up his house to meet here. And we see Aphia uh, is also called a sister, which if we see sister mentioned in the scripture, it usually means a Christian brother or sister. So we see a brother or sister. It's usually a fellow believer. And we see Archippus is what? A fellow soldier. Uh, and, and that it means he's a warrior for the gospel. He, he, he's a fighter for God. And we can learn a lot from this family. Uh, Philemon, as we'll see later in this letter in verses 19 and 20, likely was converted by Paul in, in, a, in Ephesus whenever Paul was, was ministering there. And, and Paul actually goes so far as to say that he owes him his own self. And what he's saying is, hey, if it wasn't for me preaching the gospel to you, then you and your family would be destined for destruction. And so instead, they are now, instead of being destined for eternal torment, they now are destined for eternal life because they've given their lives to Christ. And this is example, a great example of the gospel demanding our life. And frankly, as we look at this, this just intro here, and we see a man and his wife and his son fully giving everything, I think we need to be convicted by this. We, we need to take this and realize that God demands all of us. The gospel demands all of us. And those who are true believers are fully dedicated to Christ. Those who are true believers are fully dedicated. Again, this doesn't mean that you have to open up a church in your house. This doesn't mean that you have to do what Philemon did necessarily. But what it does mean is that you should have a complete life transformation. Your priorities should be God's priorities, not your own. You should look much different than the world. Instead of amassing wealth, Philemon amassed Christian brothers and sisters. He, he used his resources for the church, for the early church. He allowed people to come in and mess up his crib, right? I mean, you had tons of people gathering in his home, and, you know, that, that required some food probably. That required some hospitality. That required, you know, being a little uncomfortable at times because you have people all in your house there. But he was willing to give of his things. And he also, this guy's a pretty important guy. He, he not, he, we, we, we'll see that he has servants or slaves. He has political power. He's got wealth. He's got a big enough house to house a gathering of Christians. And instead of using that maybe for political power, to throw his weight around, he, he uses it for the advancement of the gospel. And in verse 3, we see that Paul ends this little intro a lot of the ways he either ends an intro or he ends uh, the end of his letter. He talks about grace. And what he always wants us to remember is it, it's all, we're, we're saved by grace. It's grace that brings us to Christ. It's grace that brings us to the cross. And he wants, he wants Philemon to remember and also to remind himself each time he does these letters that the cross of Jesus Christ is what we need. 
that we need grace through faith, that we're saved by grace through faith, as Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. Uh, moving forward, so we've seen that the gospel demands our life. Well, next we see the gospel demands our labor. The gospel demands our labor. And read along with me as we hit verses 4 through 7 here. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So moving forward, we see that the gospel demands our labor. Those who have been fully changed by the gospel will give their labor to the Lord. Uh, and, and what we see Philemon doing here in his labor is the first and second greatest commandment. He's loving the Lord and he's loving his fellow man. And we see that in Matthew 22, th uh, 37 through 39. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is thinking of, of, of Philemon's loving service, that, that he is pouring out his life for others. And Paul recalls the news that he heard when he heard about Philemon. And, and, and the, the news, and we'll see Epaphras is likely who brought this news to him. And he was reflecting on just how, how excited he was to see what Philemon was doing. And Philemon stands in direct opposition to the rich young ruler. So, so they both, the rich young ruler, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 19, they really started, I started looking at these two men, Philemon and the rich young ruler, and kind of realizing the divergence of these two men. Uh, so you have Philemon, who is a wealthy uh, owner of servants. He has a, a, probably a large house, probably has a lot of wealth. The rich young ruler, probably the same thing. And you've got these two guys, and, and they come to the cross, and, and salvation is, is offered to them. We have Jesus offer salvation to the rich young ruler, and we have Paul, obviously, offer the gospel to Philemon. And we see the rich young ruler, uh, Jesus starts asking him some questions about himself. He starts asking him, well, have you obeyed this commandment or this commandment or this commandment? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing really well. Now, we don't know how much truth to that. It may be, may be right on. He may be very straight-laced. But then we see that Jesus says this in Matthew 19, 20 through 22. Here, sorry, I don't think I put it in here. So, so in Matthew uh, 19, 22, 22, uh, it says, The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, Philemon could have been this guy. So Philemon obviously has great possessions. Philemon obviously has maybe even this political thing. He wants to do this or he wants to do that. He wants to advance. You know, in, in Romans times, Roman times, it was always good to kind of keep moving up in class, you know, move up in order, amass more wealth, get more friends, know the right people, move this way. And yet Philemon, you have the young, young rich ruler, he says, no, it's not worth it, and he walks away sorrowful. But Philemon accepts the gospel gladly, and he gives everything for the gospel. And notice that, that Jesus didn't ask the wealthy man to work for his salvation. He didn't say, hey, you've got to do this in order to be saved. He just knew that those, those things, the riches of the world, were choking the rich young ruler. He, he, was, he could not come to Christ unless he crucified his idol, which for him 
was wealth. But yet instead of going away sorrowful when Philemon heard the call, he committed everything to the gospel, even his family. Everything to the gospel, even his family. And Philemon, he also gave of his la- he gave his labor and his heart to moving forward the gospel. And note here as we look at the rich young ruler, if we look at Philemon, Philemon was not saved by works. It wasn't because he did all these good things that he was saved, but he was saved unto good works. And a true saving faith is one that does work, and it labors out of a love for our Father in heaven, a love for God. We don't do things out of obligation. We don't do things because we're supposed to or because we have to. We do them because we love God so much. If you look at a a married couple and, and they're happily married and they love one another, they don't do things because they're obligated to. They do things because they want to see the other person, you know, uh, happy. They want to see them, uh, you know, raised up. They want to do things for them. And, and we should be like that with Christ where we, we want to glorify him. We want to make much of him, not because we should, but because we love him. If you remember at the beginning of this letter, Paul mentioned a man who is likely Philemon's son. As we said, we saw Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow Soldier. So Archippus, as we said before, was called a fellow soldier, a warrior for the gospel. And if we look at the end of Colossians, um, we, we will see uh, here as well, um, Colossians 4, 17, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Uh, Philemon, it appears, even encouraged his own son to go all in for the gospel. He, he called him to step up and lead because we see that Philemon, not, on, not only Archippus has, he's a fellow soldier, but he also has a ministry that was given to him from the Lord, a ministry. So he's either likely a church leader in the church of Colossae, or he may even be a minister, or a missionary sent out to be able to share the gospel with others around him. So how amazing is that? And, and we see, we see uh, Archippus, as a church leader there. And Pastor Kenny Stidham, the recently retired pastor at Good Shepherd that that sent us out here, actually, he said to me one time, he said, you can tell a lot about a man or a woman by looking at their children, by by looking at their children. And and so you can see, you see that children watch their parents closely. Uh, They do what their parents do. Uh, They act the way their parents act a lot of times. And so when we look at children, we look at families, we can see, hey, is there family worship going on in that home? Is there, are, are there Bible readings? Are, are there time in prayer? Are, is, is, that, is that home making Christ the center? Because if it is, then children will know the Bible. Children will know the Word of God. Children will do that. Is, is there godly discipline going on in that home? And obviously, children will, will respond to that. Now, obviously, we know some children are harder than others. Some ages are harder than others. Can I get an amen? Um, so, some, sometimes. And so we shouldn't go so far as to o- overly judge people based on their children. We also know that children will reach a point to where they're adults. And, and, and we see that they're going to make decisions that sometimes we agree with and sometimes we don't. And frankly, it doesn't really matter what we think. It's, does the Bible agree with it or not? Does God agree with it or not? Because that's who is going to be their judge. And praise God for Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18 says that children will not be responsible for the sins of their parents, but also parents will not be responsible for the sins of their children as they age, right? But Philemon, we can see, was a man that practiced what he preached, and we see his son follow in his footsteps and give his life to Christ. As we move on uh, to Philemon uh, 6 here, we, we, we see it says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith 
they become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So we see here that Philemon's not only serving the church, but he's also going out and he's sharing the gospel with others. And, and Paul understands that John 6, says, no one comes to the Father except through the drawing of Christ. Uh, so we know that God has to draw a man in order for him to be saved. But Paul also knows that prayer is effective. And so pr- Paul, Paul is praying here, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. How much do we pray for that? Do we pray that the sharing of our faith, the sharing of our church's faith uh, is effective? Sometimes I think people look at prayer as a cop-out. It's like, well, it's a way to do something without really doing something. Uh, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just cover that in prayer, and sometimes we look at it that way. But prayer is, is, is the powerhouse of our church, as we saw Charles Spurgeon once say. There is true power in prayer, and if we want to see our ministries be successful, if we want to see our church be successful by God's standards, that's, be, that's meaning that we are going to be uh, effective in ministry per what he wants us to do, then we must cover it in prayer because it's only God that can save souls. If we look at verse 7, it says, For I have derived much joy from your love, my brother, because the saints have been refreshed through you. So he had likely, as we said before, likely found, found out about Philemon from Epaphras in Colossians. We see that in Colossians 1, 7, and 8. Um, that, that Epaphras has likely brought back the knowledge of Philemon here. And there's something... I don't know about you all, but, but there's something about being a parent as you watch your kids start to minister to other people. You've ministered to your kids. You've raised your children, or, or as, even as a, as a minister of the gospel. Maybe you've trained somebody. You've, you've mentored somebody, and you've poured your heart and soul into that person, and then you watch them doing that. You watch your kids. You watch somebody else sharing what you have poured into them to somebody else. There's just something special. We see Paul just loving that. He's deriving joy from seeing Philemon walk in the ways of God. How beautiful is that? So my friends, the gospel demands our life and our labor. And finally, the gospel demands our love. So these first seven verses have shown a life and a character and a labor that's been changed by the gospel. We, we, we see a godly man and a godly family living their lives for the Lord. And now we come to this, this pivot in this letter. So, so we've, we've just seen how great, uh, how, how much love Paul has for Philemon, the praise that he's brought us, or brought him. Uh, and and now we, then we come to verse 8, and we have a huge change. Now Philemon's true love for the gospel, true love for Christ, is about to be challenged. So, so join me as we read verses uh, 8 through 11 here. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became at my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So we're given close to a bold command that Paul kind of hits the brakes a little bit and just does a very staunch appeal here. Uh, he says, hey, you know, I want you to forgive my, my, my spiritual son, Onesimus. And so what we see here is that Paul has likely shared the gospel with Onesimus. Onesimus has become a believer through Paul's ministry, just like Philemon did, but this has been since then. And, and we see that he, he loves him. So Philemon is a legal slave owner, 
probably even a, a Roman citizen most likely, and he has the right and liberty to make right what, what has been made wrong through the legal process. Uh, frankly, he could, he could maybe even kill Onesimus for what Onesimus has done, and we'll find that out here in just a little while. He could at least imprison him or fine him severely. But note Paul's personal appeal. He calls him a spiritual son. He sees him as family, and he loves him immensely. Interestingly, uh, interestingly Onesimus's name means profitable. Um, and, and Paul makes a play on words here at the end when he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So we see that Paul lets, lets Philemon know that he is a new man. Onesimus is now a new man. And the one who, who's, who is named profitable and useless, yet was use, or use, useful, was, was actually useless and a liability, now he's finally worthy of the name in which he bears. I, I love that play on words that he uses there. But Paul also realizes Onesimus left quite a bad taste in Philemon's mouth. And so he realizes that, that the previous experience that he's had there uh, is causing an issue. So let, let's, let's look a little further in, into this uh, letter and see what exactly is going on. If we move into verse 12 through 14. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. For the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be under compulsion, but of your own accord. Let's go ahead and finish up fifteen and sixteen too. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Wow. So before recalling the sin of Onesimus, uh, Paul, he, calls, he says he's, he's part of his own very heart. He loves him. There's nothing that he wants more than just to keep him and not send him back. He doesn't want to put Onesimus in harm's way if possible. But at last, we're kind of given the, the idea of why this letter is being written. Onesimus is a runaway slave from Philemon. And we're not sure of the details of how this transpired, but we know that it was against Philemon's will. It was against his knowledge and, uh, at the time. And many commentators actually say Onesimus most likely stole from Philemon when he left. That was pretty common. If a slave would leave, they would take things, take goods. And we see Paul say, obviously, if there's any debt that Philemon owes, charge it to my account. So, so we see that this really makes Paul's request even more outlandish than maybe we would have understood before because he, he puts verse 16 here, no longer as a bondservant or a slave, but, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved what? Brother. Brother. That's family. Uh, that, that, that's close. That's closeness. So it was bold enough that, that Paul's asking Philemon not to punish Onesimus, not to put him in prison, not to have him executed, not to find him, not to do anything like that. That was a huge request of, of Paul to ask for grace, to ask for mercy to be extended. But not only has he said that, but he has asked Philemon to accept him into the church as a brother in Christ, as an equal, a joint heir, as we know that we are joint heirs with Christ. And, and many com commentators actually speculate here what he's saying is, you need to emancipate him. You need to set him free because he is useful for the church. This is a man God can use. He knows the gospel. He can preach it. He can teach it. He can spread it. And you need to set him free. Can you imagine Philemon? What? Like, this dude just stole some of my money and left. And he's been gone for years. 
and you want me to set him free and just give him a hug and say we're all good? Like, this is a big deal. I mean, how amazing is that? If you recall, I mentioned in my, in my sermon, Biblical Workplace, that although Paul did not come right out and, and condemn slavery, he, along with other New Testament writers, provided the many seeds that grew into the abolitionist movement. And here is one such seed that we see here. If we keep going forward into verses 17 through 20, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Going on 21 and 22. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the time, prepare uh, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So Paul ends this letter with a sacrificial call to Philemon. So we mentioned a few moments ago, he's, he's asked that any debt that, Philemon, that Onesimus has to Philemon to be charged to Paul's account. He's willing to put his money where his mouth is, right? He, he's willing to show Philemon just how much he loves Onesimus, anything that is there. And this must speak volumes to Philemon as he reads this letter and he thinks about this, frankly, this, this, this not nice guy that has stolen his money and left, that this guy's changed so much that Paul, who he does, who he does know, who he's been saved because he's preached the gospel, he sees the love that he has for him, and he's like, wow. I mean, think about how that would change you, this person that you just think is a punk. And somebody's like saying, this is the greatest person I've met in quite some time. This is the guy that you need to support. How amazing is that? I'm reminded of a guy I went to high school with. I won't say his name, but he was a guy like that too where I was just like, man, you know, just did not get along with this guy. And then I meet him a year after we graduated, and he's like the nicest guy ever, and it really threw me off. But you just see the gospel changes people. People can go from being horrible people to amazing Christian people through the change of the gospel. I I think one of the greatest apologetics that we have in life is not you know, trying to disprove evolution is not trying to talk about other things like that. It's, it's seeing a changed life. When you see a person who has lived according to the world and you see the repentance and you see the change of the gospel in their life, there is no greater evangelistic outreach than that. Uh, if you were in somebody's family and you saw someone get saved and you saw them go from being all the way over here to all the way over here and you're like, wow, what, what happened there? there? Man, that just rocks your world as a as a as a person seeing that can't tell you how many times you see one person get saved in a family and then what happens somebody else does and somebody else says, we just saw this with philemon right so philemon comes to christ what happens aphia his wife comes to christ and then what happens archippus his son comes to christ because they see philemon i'm sure philemon wasn't the greatest guy in the world too who knows maybe onesimus left because philemon wasn't the greatest slave owner maybe he was a harsh man you never know uh we don't know the the history of all of this but we see in verse 21, the Paul shows his confidence in the integrity and spiritual walk of his friend Philemon. He, he knows that Philemon's not only going to forgive the offense, is not only not going to execute or punish or try to harm his friend Onesimus, but, but he says that he'll go even beyond what Paul has asked for. And again, we see that may even be emancipation or freedom for Onesimus. Lastly, we see that Paul hopes that he'll be released from prison to be able to visit his friend Uh, before his time on earth is is through. As we seek to understand this final point, we've talked about the gospel demanding our love. 
we really come to the main theme of this letter. And the main theme of this letter is forgiveness. So love through forgiveness. We have been shown love through forgiveness. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He showed us his love through his death, his sacrificial death on the cross. He was raised from the dead three days later. He now forgives our sins when we repent and turn to him as our Savior. And you see, Philemon had every right to punish Onesimus. He had every liberty and justification to right the wrong. And we may have the right to avenge somebody that wrongs us. We may have every right to to, to, to make it right as much as, and to, to spend our lives going after that person. We may feel justified in that, yet the gospel demands our love in the form of forgiveness. The final aspect of showing our love through forgiveness is this main, the main theme of this letter. We see in Matthew six fifteen a very difficult command. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Philemon could have said, hey, you don't know what this guy did to me. I mean, he stole so much. He took, you know, I, we've been looking for him forever. I had to send other people out to try to find him. We never could get him. And, and I, I lost a year of my life because I was, I mean, he could have had all kinds of excuses, all kinds of things he said. Philemon did have the, the, the legal right to prosecute at this point. And in some cases, I want to be honest, in some cases, the consequences of sin needs, need to be carried out. And so justice does need to be served in some Sometimes our forgiveness still needs to be extended even in those situations. But, but here we see that Onesimus is a new man. He's a changed man. He's a man who is useful for the gospel. He's a man that has been born again. And Paul encourages grace, love, and forgiveness to be extended. So we don't have a historical record of how this ended. We, we don't know how this played out, uh, whether they got in a fist fight or, or what happened. But we can feel pretty confident the fact that this book has been replicated time and time again and became an early part of the, the New Testament canon of Scripture, that they likely had a good reunion. We, we likely saw a humble Philemon, a, a man who was a, a man after God's heart, who loved the Lord, who laid down his prejudices, who laid down just how, his anger, who gave it to the Lord, and we likely see two men that are reconciled and that serve the church together. The gospel demands our love, and it demands it in the form of forgiveness. Paul ends this letter with mentioning a few other people who gave their life, labor, and love for Christ. And I'll just read it real quick. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. These fellow workers gave up their liberty and their life and their labor for the Lord. And, and as we come to this, we're going to go into some more detail about these men as well as other people that we're going to be talking about next week. But I pray that as you've heard this account, that you've heard this man Philemon, this man who came to a saving knowledge of Christ, who accepted the gospel and gave his, his life, his labor, and his love for the Lord. I pray that we church, search our own hearts, that we look, hey, have, have, am I dedicating my entire life to the Lord? Am I dedicating my family to the Lord? Am I raising my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Am I, am I in the Word? Am I teaching the Word in my home? Are, are, we, are we worshiping the Lord in my home? Or is it something that I just bring to Sunday, but I don't really bring throughout the week? May it be something that penetrates every day 
of our lives. It may be something that, that Deuteronomy 6 that we, that we do with our families as we walk along the way, that we have on our doorposts, that we live our lives that way. I pray that our labor, that we work for the Lord, not for salvation, but because we are saved, that we walk in the ways of the Lord, and that we love others through forgiveness, through kindness, through gentleness, and that we, that we show that. The greatest way that we can show that is by sharing the gospel with others, telling others about Christ. If we look at this whole situation, we look at Philemon and Onesimus, there's only one factor that fixed this problem. It, it wasn't social justice. Again, we hopefully saw an emancipation here, and, and, and slavery is a horrible thing, and we stand firmly against that as a church, as a nation, praise the Lord. But social justice isn't what fixed this situation between Philemon and Onesimus. It was the gospel that, switch, that changed this. And so may, all, may we always remember that it is the gospel that changes everything. It's the gospel that demands of us a higher calling. It's not a government that changes everything. It's not a way of thinking. It's not a political party. It's not an ideal. It is the gospel. It is the word of God that changes hearts. And so may we go out and show our love to others in the greatest way we know how, and that is by sharing Christ with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the fact that we do see the gospel just working here. We, we, we see two men that, that are diametrically opposed to one another, uh, two men that, 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 that may have been at, at odds most likely here, uh, two men that, that if they saw each other in the street, it wouldn't have went well. But God, we see the gospel reach each one of them individually, and we see a change of heart. Uh, we see a new man made. We, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, that our, our old self is dead and our new self comes to us, that we are born again, as John 3 says. And so, God, I pray that if anyone here has not been born again, anyone here has not put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, they, they don't understand what it's like to give their life to Christ, I pray that they do that today, that they don't let another moment go by without doing that. I pray that for us who have, that we continue to pour out our labor and our life and our love for you, Lord, for you are worthy and you are worth it. God, we pray that you prepare the hearts of those that we run into over the coming weeks that we may get to share the gospel with. May you draw them to you. We know we need to cover that with prayer. We need to be asking you to draw men and women to yourself and children to yourself as we go out and we share the gospel. May you bless our, our week this week. May you open up an opportunity for us to share the word with someone that we ran into. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. Amen. God bless and have a great week.